Hello and welcome into another episode of the College Esports Quick Take and the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. If you're listening to this podcast through the Esports Network podcast feed, the people over on the College Esports Quick Take heard it first. So if you're interested in learning more about college esports and enjoy discussions like this, be sure to follow the College Esports feed. I don't publish every long interview on the Esports Network podcast, and we publish a bunch of daily content exclusive only to College Esports Quick Take. So if you want more conversations like this, should definitely follow the College Esports Quick Take feed. But when I have a guest like today's, I have to publish it on both. We are talking to Mark Deppi. He is one of the de facto leaders in collegiate esports at UCI Esports. The college is based at really the epicenter of North American esports, just miles from the campus of Activision Blizzard and many other esports companies as well. And they made a great choice to jump into the college esports world early way back in 2016, which is really a lifetime ago in esports. And this was more than a casual brace of video games. UCI jumped in with the goal of being the best. They created the iBuyPower esports arena on campus. They funded research into various aspects of video games and esports and offered some of the first esports scholarships in North America. That support has led to plenty of competitive success as well. The program was the 2018 League of Legends College Champions and also competed in the Fiesta Bowl Overwatch National Championships. As a program, they offer varsity teams in League of Legends, Overwatch, and Super Smash Bros. Those teams offer scholarships, but UCI Esports also has some scholarship money from Pokimane. The famous streamer put down 50 grand in scholarships split between 2020 and 2021 on a merit basis for the UCI Esports program. Mark is also the commissioner of the North American Scholastic Esports Federation as well. Mark, you were one of the very first guests on the Esports Network podcast way back in the spring of 2019. And lucky for you, we've actually managed to grow quite a bit since you first came on. Imagine that. I'm happy to have you back on the show. Welcome in. Thank you so much, Mitch. It's uh, fun to be back. That was, I think it was like the first five episodes we ever did. And you were one of them. Sweet. Yeah, I'm really impressed with how much content you create. So uh, yeah, kudos to you and kudos to everybody who's been involved with uh, with your work. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, we're at 175 episodes of the Esports Network podcast. And uh, those first 10 were really people doing a favor to me because we had not a lot of audience, as you as you could guess from, from the first five. So I'm happy to bring you back when we actually have a very solid listener base for you to talk with. Well, awesome. I think most people, especially if they're following the college esports feed, are pretty familiar with the University of California Irvine's esports program. But we have a lot of people from the Esports Network podcast as well who might not be as familiar even after that introduction. So UCI was really held up as one of the early leaders in collegiate esports and a lot of attention on the program from really the first days of it. How have you felt that the program as a whole have you have you felt that the program is in a bit of a guiding position when it comes to the expansion of college esports? Because it feels like you guys are kind of at the forefront of a lot of the different areas of collegiate esports. Yeah, I, I do feel that way. Um, when we started our program, you know, like like everybody else, we had a lot of questions. We didn't know what we were doing. Um, I think we did a few things that have been very notable uh, that other people have looked at. Um, and, and, and these are kind of things I, I, I share with people when they, they first call. We talked to lots of schools. I've talked to hundreds of schools and universities. Uh, it's become such a uh, heavy time investment that we now have a wiki that we share with all our frequently asked questions. Um, we throw an academic conference where we help teach people what we're doing. Um, we've done webinars. 
So we definitely take that role seriously. But uh, I think initially, uh, some of the things that really were groundbreaking was one, we, we really identified our pillars of our program, what we were going to do, um, our mission, essentially. So we do five things. We compete, we support academics and research, we engage with the community, we create entertainment, and we launch careers. And so everything we do goes into those five things and we, we don't stray outside of that too often um, because you can get uh, distracted pretty easily. Um, the other thing I think people really liked was our space that we built. We didn't realize how important it was going to be. Uh, we needed a space for people to sit and to play. Um, it helped fund our program initially, our, our, uh, the arena, which is powered by Ed by Power, as you mentioned. Um, and uh, once we built that, a lot of schools thought that was a kind of required piece of the program. So a lot of people have come to look at our place, toured our space uh, to see what uh, what they can build on their campus. So I would say those are two things that drew people in. And the third and final thing would just be um, UCI is just a really respected university. It's uh, from all I can see, uh, the highest ranked academic institution that offers scholarships for esports. Um, we're a public university, part of the uh, most prestigious public university system um, and we're the only school in california that's really this invested in esports so a lot of those things make us stand out and unique and uh, because of our our uh, position uh, people have reached out to us and we've been uh, happy and honored to share what we've learned and to uh, be a part of the thought leadership of the collegiate esports space absolutely i think there's everybody any student who currently has an esports arena on campus or an esports lounge or a place to just hang out and play video games? A lot of that is probably thanks to some of the the work done by by UCI and pushing this forward. Even at the University of Oregon, when I was in school, uh, after the I Buy Power esports arena had been announced, there was no esports lounge, and I went back right before everything shut down due to COVID, and they had a whole lounge built into the center of campus at the University of Oregon. They don't even have a varsity team. So it's uh, that infrastructure has expanded beyond just the varsity programs to where now people with just rec programs or some small level of gaming infrastructure are like, yeah, we're going to build a place for students to get together and play video games. And I think a lot of that stems from UCI making a big bet on it back in uh, some of those earlier days. Yeah. I, uh, I, I feel that and I see that and um, yeah, it's been interesting. I think a lot of what we did was, uh, I wouldn't say a gamble, but it was a bet. It was a bet that esports were going to grow, that video games would play a grow, increasingly important role in people's lives and that uh, as demographics shift, um, colleges would need to adjust to what was going on. and. Um, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with Irvine, UC Irvine, we don't have a football team. Um, we're one of the younger UC schools. And so um, uh, it's hard for us to distinguish ourselves among our peers like Berkeley and UCLA um, because we're just so much younger and newer. And so I, I think esports are viewed um, by me and a lot of our campus leaders as something that makes us unique, makes us a school of first choice. So if you're a gamer, if you want to compete, um, and you also are a really smart student in California, UCI might be your top choice. And there are a lot, or so there are a few other uh, programs or services or attributes of campus that uh, can say that, that, that they make UCI a school of first choice. Definitely. The Eaters don't have any football program? That's tough to hear. That's such a great mascot. I would love to see it. Yeah. Uh, but it's been a point of contention for many years, uh, but I, at this point, it's just too expensive to start up, and we probably oh, yeah. wouldn't be good anytime soon if we did. 
Well, yeah, and it it's shown by a lot of the different varsity programs in esports is that this is a chance for us to to make our mark. We're never going to be able to really make waves in traditional sports, but if we're an early adopter to esports, we can win national championships. You know, there's UCI can start a football program. It doesn't matter how many years they play or how much money they invest. They'll probably never win a national championship. That's just the reality there. But you can in this world. And I think UCI has established themselves as, uh, you know, in basketball, we call them blue bloods. And I think they've established themselves as an early blue blood. When we look back at the history of college esports, we'll be like, yeah, UCI has been there. They have all these different appearances, all these different successful moments. You bring up a really interesting point with the lack of infrastructure uh, across the rest of UC, uh, University of California, that that entire uh, university structure that it is, uh, and how there isn't a ton of esports investment. So I just had Ashley Jones from Park University on last Friday's episode, and we were kind of talking about how many Missouri esports varsity programs there are. I think she said there was like eight different ones. And when you think about California, you think about Missouri, you'd assume Cali, Tech Hub, uh, Riot Games started in the UC, USC dorm room, Activision Blizzard campus. You'd assume that California would have a ton of esports varsity programs. Why hasn't the state entirely embraced it, especially as you look at some of the major universities that were so core to building esports to what it is now? Why do you think they haven't launched varsity esports programs yet? That is a great question. Um, and my hypothesis has nothing to do with esports. And I would say it is a larger conversation around what's happening in higher education. There is a consolidation of uh, interest uh, in major public universities, the top 50, top 100 schools um, are, are drawing in more and more students and small private liberal arts schools, especially in the Midwest are struggling to keep enrollment high. Um, and so, uh, I, I think that is something that, uh, you see a lot are small private liberal arts schools looking to, uh, make a name for themselves, looking to, uh, do outreach in a new way to increase, uh, enrollment. And they see esports as an opportunity to to do that. Um, if you look at the major public schools, they are they're getting uh, ten times the applications they need to fill all their seats uh, and all their spots in universities, and that's just not not the same uh, scenario for other schools. And so you're actually seeing a lot of small private schools shut down, um, close their doors. Uh, they're being bought by other schools, and so there's a higher education consolidation. And so I, I just don't think the major public schools feel pressure to innovate. They are, they are still going very strong on the traditions and the pillars they've, they've uh, established over the last one, two, 300 years. And so uh, that's, that's what I see. And UCI certainly does not need esports to distinguish itself. Uh, UCI is now the number two uh, most applied to school in the country. Uh, that's insane to say uh, we're right after UCLA wow. these days. And so um, UCI does not need this. Um, and it's really just something uh, a few of us innovators uh, really push for hard on our campus, but um, when when a university sees pressure to to do something new and they see enrollment going down, when they realize that most of their revenue is tied to uh, residence halls and tuition, uh, they need they need students to to keep their operations going, and so um, that's why you're getting senior leadership buy-in at other universities, especially like I mentioned, the small private liberal arts schools 
that really do make up the vast, vast majority of college esports programs. Makes a lot of sense. As always, money talks. Yeah, it was it was funny to see uh, at the University of Oregon campus because Northwest Christian, which is exactly that, a tiny uh, religious institution that's basically enveloped by the University of Oregon campus, launched a varsity esports program. And it was like, oh, why do they have this and Oregon does it? And it's to your point. They need something else that makes it stand out because if uh, if enrollment's going down and more people are going to U of O, there's no shortage of people trying to go there. So that's a really good point and kind of highlights just sort of where this is and also the potential opportunity for some of these schools to, hey, if the big institutions are not going to join us, well, that gives us more time to cement our own brand name uh, in the esports world, and assuming esports continues to grow, that's going to pay dividends uh, down the road. And we've seen that with a few different major programs. Maryville's another one that really sticks out that has had a lot of success. Harrisburg, as well, uh, having a documentary done on their Overwatch team where it's like, okay, this is probably going to draw a new generation. This is people are going to be interested in this as long as you're successful. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm a little surprised other schools haven't done this um, because, again, if you think about the college football analogy, you really had to get into college football at least 50 years ago to be relevant now and to be uh, driving that revenue, that uh, alumni engagement, community engagement. Um, and so, yes, esports is a is a, an investment, a bet, a gamble, however you want to call it right now, um, and and it won't pay off quote unquote payoff for many, many years. Um, but I'm a little surprised more big schools aren't dabbling in it a little bit more intentionally right now, um, because I, I do think already uh, the top programs are kind of gobbling up all the top talent. And uh, there is definitely uh, a humongous gap between the top five or 10 programs in each game and, and the field. And so, um, yeah, I would like to see more investment. Uh, I was certainly nervous that other schools would uh, dive in more deeply and invest more resources and really just outpace us. But that has not happened yet. Yeah. And at this point, UCI has pretty much established their brand name uh, in this space. This might be a question, uh, but sort of on this topic, the Pac-12 once said they were going to be a leader in this space. I think it was like 2017, 2018. They had a meeting and former commissioner, former, let's go, emphasis on former, commissioner Larry Scott said, hey, we are going to be a place that invests in esports. And the University of Utah launches a varsity program and then it stops. The, the momentum just stagnates really quickly. This is probably a better question for AJ Dimmick at Utah, uh, but I'm curious is this something that might change? Larry Scott was just let go like two days ago, I think, uh, as commissioner of the Pac-12. Is that something that might change or is he just sort of a a mouthpiece for, for the rest of the conference and each individual school just isn't that invested in it? As a West Coast institution, I feel like the Pac-12 is really, those are the marquee institutions around uh, UCI. So do you think there's more investment might happen because Larry Scott's gone or is that kind of just not that relevant? You know, uh, I hadn't heard that news. Uh, that is very intriguing indeed. I, I definitely paid attention to every announcement around college esports after uh, we, we announced our program. And uh, yeah, I, I do think Irvine's investment uh, sped up the interest of the Pac-12 and others. Uh, I It's my understanding Larry Scott has been um, 
definitely a barrier um, for Pac-12 esports efforts. Uh, but I'm not sure without him, it's necessarily going to be much better. Uh, the Pac-12 really is driven by the the 12 presidents or chancellors at each university. So if, if esports is a priority for them, uh, I think the new commissioner will kind of deliver and try to provide something there. Um, so that that's one thing I think. Uh, additionally, I mean the Pac-12 is a major Power Five conference. Um, so some of the some of the challenges are one: none of these Power Five conference schools have esports within athletics, and the Pac-12 really is a conference of athletic programs. It has nothing to do with the rest of the university, and so uh, I think esports would really have to be brought into the athletics framework. And right sure. now that does not govern by uh, the NCAA, as we know, they have not touched it yet. Um, other Hopefully they don't. Include, if it's now part of athletics, then then it's now going to start count, counting towards your Title IX kind of uh, uh, accommodations. And so if you're offering 20 scholarships to, to men in an athletics program called eSports, then you now need to uh, uh, also offer those same resources to 20 more women. Um, so the Title IX problem becomes more more apparent. Um, you cannot just say uh, it's open to everybody. Everyone has this equal opportunity. Um, I think once you put in athletics, it, it changes that conversation. Um, and then two other two other points I'll make on this. And again, I, I'm not uh, at a Pac-12 school. I did go to UCLA. Certainly follow the Pac-12 and the Bruins very closely. Um, and this would affect my life, so I, I would definitely pay attention to it. But the two other main factors are. One, um, the amateurism uh, piece has still not been solved in traditional sports, and uh, the NCAA, it looks like, is going to punt on talking about that and coming up with uh, a solution to the uh, name, uh, I forget what it's called, what the abbreviation is, but uh, name, image, likeness uh, kind of conversation. Um, laws are going to affect very soon that will allow athletes to profit off their image. Um, and so oh, it's name, image, likeness, that's what it is. And so uh, esports is already there. So I, I think until uh, colleges know how they're going to treat traditional athletes who are worth way more than your uh, uh, in terms of brand value than your current esports athletes, I think that's a problem. And then finally, um, oh shoot, I, I I think the NCAA piece is like the f uh, final piece of um, until it decides it's a sport or how to deal with it. Uh, I think these institutions are going to struggle to embed it into athletics. So. Um, I, I, I do think Larry Scott moving on, um, does create a window or an opportunity that was definitely closed before, but I, I still think the PAC 12 has some major challenges, um, across all those different areas that I mentioned. Um, and I, th I think, uh, actually I, w I was, I was going to mention this point, uh, I forgot, um, I kind of punted and, and just said it was like an NCAA thing. But I think the other the other final piece I'll mention is all these schools are just massive universities. And so I mentioned the chancellors and presidents have to be really bought in if this is going to be a priority. And I will say, as someone that goes to a that uh, works at a major university, um, there are just so many priorities on campus. And esports uh, to this day have just not made it to the top of that list. Um, we have huge issues on campus, whether it's uh, growing faculty or addressing equity, uh, making people feel safe on campus, dealing with mental health, COVID without, I mean, there's just no room for any conversations about anything right now because of COVID. And so uh, I, I just think 
uh, for major institutional systems like a PAC-12, like athletic programs, like NCAA to meaningfully engage with this, uh, they have to have all their other business kind of handled. And I, from, from my perspective, it feels like we're far away from all that happening. I'd absolutely agree. Yeah, those decision makers are... Uh, the bigger the institution, the slower it moves. And if if you get to be an early adopter, it pays off. But that's always going to be something where, hey, it's going to take us a while to get there. And it gives the smaller institutions a great opportunity right now to move quickly and establish a brand name in the space. Speaking of the college esports world and sort of the governing body of it, we have seen quite a few competitive platforms, different places trying to be some sort of governing body, some sort of like NCA replacement uh, as competitive structure providers. And it seems like this year, especially, we've seen more and more, you know, I hadn't, maybe this is my ignorance, but I hadn't seen things like the EGF prior to this. Uh, there's now you have NACE, you have CSL still, you have the remnants of TESPA, you have other developer-supported leagues, you have the NACL, you have uh, some other organizers as well, I'm sure. How, as a program director, do you sort of navigate that through the muddy waters of all these different uh, institutions or all these different companies that are trying to become the new leader in offering competitions to colleges? Whew, another good question. Uh, it's definitely a challenge. Um, right now, we really uh, participate and focus on the developer-run leagues. Um, they definitely, as of now, run the best, highest quality leagues, and that's where the best teams are as well. So we could go to almost any of those other leagues and win every single match we played and win all the championships, as could any of the other top teams in college esports. So one, the competition is not there. Um, two... Uh, I, I will say, and this is like a big challenge I, I just feel is there is a power struggle going on right now. You have developers who, who are, who are right now comfortably in control of their own games. Uh, and that's, I think the safest place right now, uh, you have all these leagues that are trying to get a critical mass of schools to buy in and all these disorganized schools and colleges, um, broadly speaking, I would like the schools and colleges to have a voice, um, I think NACE is trying to do that, has tried to do that, hasn't yet achieved it. Uh, other groups maybe are trying to do that as well. Um, but that's my biggest struggle is I feel like the, the best interest of universities is not yet, uh, I wouldn't say, I, I, I guess there's just no weight to that right now. Like the NCAA is, is, is that for traditional sports. Um, the voting members are presidents of the universities. And so um they dictate what happens and so i would not have said this three or four years ago by the way i have totally flip-flopped on this i really do think uh an ncaa like organization needs to exist um and the voice of college esports needs to be the voice of the colleges not the developers not the leagues and so right now like i said we're, we're in the developer support leagues because that's where the best leagues are the most uh experienced in tournament organization best, best prize pools um, but I think some, some future world will exist where colleges are really calling the shots or some organization of colleges are calling the shots, but, uh, it feels with all this fragmentation, we're, we're not close to that, which is a little bit sad. Interesting. I, that is 
a flip. I think on opinions that I've heard you shared, you know, I think we first talked back in 2017 uh, for a sport techie article. And, you know, generally what I've heard is, hey, we don't want the NCAA in this space. Uh, and you did say NCAA like, which is probably an important uh, distinction there. But I'm curious why, when that flipped in your mind and you were like, actually, the way they do this makes a lot of sense. Was there a moment you could point to? Um, you know, I, I will say, I just feel like developers, uh, I mean, I work closely with them. I sit on the, uh, RSAA riots, uh, kind of advisory group for their scholastic endeavors. Um, we talk often and closely with, with blizzard folks and TESPA folks. Um, I, I would say one, their, their investment waivers over time. Like they're looking at a quarter by quarter, like profit margins, uh, basis because they're part of a publicly traded company. Um, each of them. Um, so they have different time frames, different timelines. Uh, I think they've, they have over time divested, uh, both organizations have, have withdrawn from college esports. And so if, if they are the ones driving the boat and resources continue to be constrained, I just don't feel like that's, that's the ideal future. And I also think they've, they've made decisions that, uh, left up to the colleges, the college would have made a very different decision. Um, about ecosystem building and what it looks like. Um, and I, I'll broaden that to high schools as well, high schools, middle schools. Um, so I, I do think educators, uh, people who are trained in education, elected officials, those are the people that we should be setting policy and direction for where this goes. And um, that's, that's why I think a self-governing group needs to exist um, because right now the motivations are either by leagues, which are small startups uh, that come and go that uh, are, are poorly resourced right now, or developers who are uh, privately traded companies who are competing with one another and uh, beholden to, uh, yeah, driving driving money to the company or at least not losing too much money to the company. So um, that that's where my <clears throat> thought process has changed. And I think also with, with the NCAAs, uh, understanding they have to fix their name image likeness, uh, scenario. I think that was a, a non-starter. The fact that esports athletes all would be disqualified under amateurism rules. Um, yeah. but I think states are all passing laws that prevent that from going into the future. So I think the biggest barrier is gone and I've just seen over time, um, things evolve that again, left up to the educators and the institutions would have gone very differently. Right. Looking for a seat at the table. It's uh, changing the relationship with developers is a common thread in esports, especially in other esports organizations at the pro level. Uh, I talked with, it was Andy Miller and Jason Lake, Andy NRG, Jason uh, Complexity, both CEOs uh, of their respective esports organization, back for an esports insider article in spring. And esports organizations right now do not make money. They, they, their revenue is about like one twelfth of their valuation. And they were like, what really needs to change is our relationship with the developers. We need more there. And that's a pretty common thread in developers that own everything. They own the game. They control the game. They own the esports leagues. They own the rights. Uh, and everything runs through them in a way that doesn't exist in traditional sports and really doesn't exist elsewhere. And so all the supporting companies need a little bit of give from the developers, it seems like. Uh, and that's a whole different discussion that we could get into. It's probably a 45-minute podcast 
in and of itself. Uh, but it's really something that's interesting. It's something to keep an eye on as well going forward, just sort of how developers uh, work with all the different people that are involved with the ecosystem they created because they have a responsibility to to making sure that the ecosystem works for all these other people because they were the ones that created it. Uh, you know, we talked about sort of expanding rapidly and how this industry has changed and what the changes that you've seen uh, I'm curious, what's one trend in the future? You know, we're we're talking about esports here that changes absolutely constantly. And uh, when the program was founded back in 2016, it's easy to be like, oh, that wasn't so long ago. But that's pre-Overwatch League. That's pre-franchising for all the different League of Legends leagues. That's There's just so many things that change completely in esports over a span of a few years. So as you look towards 2021 and hopefully leaving COVID, what's one trend or thing you're keeping your eye on uh, that you think could develop and affect the college esports space? You know, uh, I mean, you definitely touched on like the changes in the professional ecosystems. I will say one thing I'm very curious about, and I, I do feel pressure to predict the future on this, and that is what games are going to be the most important long term. Uh, we started with League of Legends and very fortunately, the game is still going very strong. It, it feels like Riot has doubled down. They haven't tried to make a League of Legends 2, right? They're just making the game bigger and, and adding to it, which uh, makes me feel very good. Overwatch, um, I think it's very different. Like, uh, they built an Overwatch League, a lot of hype. Um, they were supposed to be in home markets this this year and be making money for, for NRGs and, and uh those owners who, who paid a lot of money to be at the table. A lot of money. And they're not making that money. So I guess I'm curious to see what the pro ecosystem looks like, what the amateur ecosystem looks like, um, because it's hard when a, Valor, a game like Valorant comes out and you see a lot of hype or a game like Fortnite. Everyone thought Fortnite was going to take over esports, and it hasn't. Um, Rocket League is growing. Like, there's so many opportunities to invest. But for us, our timeline is so long. Like, I have already recruited students that will start in fall of 2021. And right now, like we're trying to encourage kids to apply for fall of 22. Those kids will be here for four more years. So we have like a five year recruiting kind of student timeline. So um, that's, I think one of the biggest trends and things I'm curious about is um, how, how are schools going to, going to adapt to the ebbs and flows of game popularity? Um, are we going to all kind of, say bye to a game and sunset at the same time? Are we going to each do our own thing? Um, and, and that's why I think it'd be really helpful for uh, kind of a self-governing system to exist that, that does include everybody. Um, I, know, I know NACE is trying to be that thing and, and maybe they're the closest thing to it and everyone should give them a second look. But uh, um, I, I do think it's so hard for schools to to move at the speed of the economy and and public interest. So uh, I think that's one thing I'm I'm most interested in is just what the leagues look like because um, if Overwatch League teams aren't making money in a couple of years, like what does that look like? So uh, I think my my hopes are up for Overwatch Two to be a big shot in the arm, um, uh, and and we're just going to pay attention to all the things that are happening and and hope that League and Overwatch stay uh, very relevant. Um, because we don't have the resources to add five games right now. And so uh, that that's the challenge I have. And like I said, I've already recruited kids that will come this coming fall and will stay for four years. So if I want to ditch that game uh, it, it, or change games, it's, it's really hard to do so. 
um, given that you just brought kids to your campus. That is, ext- I never thought about that. And it makes so much sense. It, like esports contracts are rarely more than two years. Y- your longest ones might be three. And you, when you're recruiting kids, you're basically making a five-year commitment to an individual esport. As we've seen with the Overwatch, the Overwatch League was the hottest thing in esports in 2017, 2018. And now the MVP left to go play Valorant of the league. And it's like, okay, where does the league go from here? So yeah, that is a really, really difficult challenge. And uh, as I've been doing the program spotlights across college esports, where I focus on all these different programs, highlight what games they offer, where the program came from, how long it's been around, what scholarships, uh, yada, yada. The games that keep coming up that I've now christened the big three are League of Legends, Overwatch, and Rocket League. And you deviated a little bit from the group by not having a Rocket League team and having Super Smash Bros. instead. And there's quite a few Super Smash Bros. programs as well. Uh, but generally when I'm seeing them, I'm seeing three different esports. And you brought up Rocket League here. I just got... That wasn't under embargo, was it? Oh, no, it's okay. We are publishing this day until after it's done. But uh, I just got notification that there was another major Rocket League tournament. And a few months ago, we also had uh, the director of the Maui Invitational, where they brought on these different schools, a combination of esports programs and blue blood traditional sports schools to play Rocket League ahead of a major college basketball tournament. And I'm wondering if you think that's a game that has that staying power uh, due to its accessibility primarily. Uh, and if it's something that UCI is looking into expanding it. Yeah, I would say it's on the short list of games. If, if you wrote me a huge check and I could expand, it would be on the list. Um, I think it's so unique. It is a lo- beloved game that has absolutely no violence. Like it's so welcoming. I mean, I, I, I work in the scholastic space too. I mean, it is so uh, loved at the high school space, at the middle school space. Um, so I think it could be very successful. I mean, our program predates the major Rocket League like <laughs> system. Like it was not on our list when we first built our program. Um, Smash would have been, uh, maybe even Melee would have been at that time. Um, uh, so, go Melee. I know. We, we've won a national championship in Melee before. So uh, our clubs have. So um, I, I think it's on the short list. I think Valorant would be on that as well. Um, Smash. We, we actually uh, went away from Smash this current year because you can't really play it uh, in person. And, uh, it yeah, was their net code is just destroyed. Yeah, but. it was funded by a donor, and that was kind of a one, one-time pilot. So we don't have Smash right now, but I would say Smash, Valorant, and uh, Rocket League would all be high on the li- list of games to consider adding if we either pivoted or, or added. So uh, I do feel like we're missing out with Rocket League. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm I, I'm really impressed with what they've built. I love that they have some of the college teams playing on their main channel, getting huge viewership numbers. Um, so that's definitely one to to watch and one I feel like we're missing out on. Yeah, they're they're doing a really good job of their college esports. Maui Invitational was great. It peaked at around fifty six thousand concurrents uh, for the finals of the Maui Invitational. And I'm a huge Rocket League fan, so I'm super biased on this. But uh, I think it's a great game, and I think it has. That really unique value add, especially because, like you mentioned, there is no violence considerations. Even a game like Valorant, where Riot's done a really good job of toying that line a little bit, it's still guns and shooting and all that stuff. And that's enough for administration. I know a lot of our audience is groaning, but if you've talked to administration at literally any school that doesn't have an esports program, they're like, yeah, that's 
that's a no go for us. If you talk to Larry Scott, I'm sure he'd be he'd be pissed. Uh, so oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and again, I'm thinking about the high school space because high school has to support college, and there are states like the state of Florida. They had <clears throat> major shooting there, very traumatic for their 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 state, and there's just no way any first person shooter title, uh, even the just genre is just totally banned from from their state. So um, no matter how cartoony or unviolent it is, uh, they're just not ready for it. So yeah, that that's one of the reasons and opportunities I see for Rocket League. And usually nonviolent games don't draw a ton of interest, but this one has. It has. It's a great game. It's got a really insane, I think the thing that makes it the most unique, in my opinion, is that they haven't touched it. And the skill cap has continued to grow it's basically the same game it was on release and just players have gotten so much better they there's very few changes the stock car you use is still what most pros uh use the stocktane baby and it's like it's crazy to me because i don't think any other esport has been able to just create a game and just leave it alone i think csgo is probably the closest after going they'd go like a year between valve updates uh but no other game could do that. And that, I think, gives it some staying power is a game that doesn't require the Riot Games magic touch to keep innovating, keep making it better. It works for Riot, for sure. Uh, but Rocket League never needed that, which is really impressive. Yeah, kudos to them. I totally agree. The The skill cap is still super high and uh, players are getting better. So um, it is a really unique game in that way. Mark, I could talk to you forever. I got to let you go. Is there anything you want people watching for, following, looking out for uh, in the future coming out of UCI Esports? You know, we are finishing up our fifth year here, so or our fourth, no, fifth year. So we're about to have our fifth year anniversary this fall. Wow. Um, and I would say we, we would love for people interested in learning more about esports to attend our academic conference. It's every October. We haven't released any information about that. Uh, for this coming fall yet, but we'd love people to check that out, esportsconference.uci.edu. It will be hopefully in-person and virtual this year. Um, So that's a great way to learn more, to engage with your peers, learn from the industry, uh, learn from academics that are doing research on the space. Uh, That'd be my one suggestion for everybody here. Well, you invited me to the campus three years ago, and I don't know if you remember that, but I'm holding you to it. I moved to Vegas, so I'm closer uh, to your neck of the woods now, and I'm coming to coming to UCI's campus once I can finally Please do. Uh, travel anywhere. Please I'm going to take every welcome. excuse to travel. You're welcome. I love it, Mark. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for being a friend of the podcast uh, for the last year and a half. It was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, For our people on the college esports feed, as always, I'll be back on Monday with In the News, covering the top headlines from the last week in college esports. And it seems like we're having a lot more headlines recently. And for our Esports Network podcast listeners, I don't know when I'm going to be publishing this, but I'll either have a new episode for you uh, next Friday or the following Monday, depending on when you listen to this. So be on the lookout for another great episode as well. And follow the College Esports Quick Take feed if you want these uh, in-depth interviews every single week, along with daily coverage, uh, working with eFuse to provide some really cool coverage for you guys as well. So thanks again, Mark. It was great having you on the show. Thanks to our listeners. We'll be back again soon.